Hello, and welcome to a special episode of JogPod. My name's Mark Goddard, and I'm the GA's Membership Sales Manager and one of the producers of JogPod. Today, we'll be bringing you the audio from one of the panel discussions at this year's GA e-conference, which took place a couple of weeks ago. The discussion was centred around the challenges and opportunities for teaching geography from home during the current coronavirus crisis, and was chaired by GA President Jill Miller. The panellists were Simon Ward, Bob Digby, Paula Owens and Alan Parkinson. I'll let Jill introduce them properly in a moment, but before we get started, can I just point you in the direction of the GA's new Geography From Home website section, which has been specifically put together to support teachers, parents, carers and children in the teaching of geography at home. The section contains an array of geographical activities and quizzes for children of all ages, as well as support for students preparing for A-level or university geography courses in the coming months. You can find the Geography From Home section, as well as many other helpful resources, on our website at geography.org.uk. I'll now hand you over to Jill, who'll kick off the discussion. My name is Jill Miller, and I'm delighted to chair the discussion this afternoon. I wonder how often we've heard the phrase challenging times recently. Teachers are certainly drawing on all their professional skills to teach geography to pupils and students at home. We really hope this session will give you some ideas, advice, and above all, moral support in these testing times. So may I now introduce our illustrious panel. Simon Ward is head of East Region at the Field Studies Council. He has 17 years experience of primary and secondary fieldwork groups, and he leads the FSC programme in Fieldwork Live, and more about that later. Bob Digby has taught for 35 years, including two as head of geography and 11 as PGCE tutor. He's now a freelance author and consultant and examiner, and he's a former president of the GA. Paula Owen, Owens is a former deputy head with many years experience in primary teaching, and she's also lectured on primary geography education courses. She's worked for the GA on curriculum development is, and is now an independent education consultant. And she's just received an award from the Geographical Association. So congratulations, Paula. Thank you. Alan Parkinson is head of geography at Kings Ely Junior School. He's also a freelance consultant and author, working on many GA publications and teaching resources, including the new Geography at Home section. He was formerly the GA Secondary Curriculum Development Leader and is currently Junior Vice President. So welcome all four of you and thank you uh, for being with us this afternoon. So we've got some questions about four areas to discuss. So just to, to start off with, with all the teaching currently happening remotely, uh, can you give our, our uh, geography community some suggestions for parents and teachers um, on how to teach geography effectively in these circumstances? Paula, would you like to start, please? I'll, I'll kick off for primary then. I think these are times of extraordinary challenges, um, especially for teachers who may be operating in school off timetable, off curriculum, and for parents who are left at home with children trying to take the role of teacher and not really knowing where to start. There are lots of resources out there at the moment to support this um, and from trusted sources like the Geographical Association, the RGS and the BBC are going to be starting their new broadcasts after, well, next week, I believe, for geography. I think these will all be incredibly helpful, but I think I've got three key suggestions as to what we might do to help support children in particular at this time because I think for them, they're feeling this more than anybody else. And I think to make geography effective, there are three key places to start. And one is with the child itself and with identity. I think geography has so much to offer children in developing their sense of identity, something they've perhaps lost in recent times because they've lost their normal school routine. Many may be feeling unsure, worried, and uncertain about what the future holds. So I think strengthening and rooting their identity through geography is a really powerful approach. Perhaps getting them to compile journals, maps, posters about them. Where were they born? Where, where they lived? Where is their school? Where are their friends, their grandparents? Where are their favorite places to play? Um, 
Where do they like to go shopping? What is their house like? A file about me and the world that is both key facts and some feelings from them about how they feel about it, their likes and dislikes, with obviously lots of location references as maps are such a key part of effective geography. So I think that's one key approach to take that's quite simple to do for everybody, no matter where you are. And I think second, this is a time of a different relationship with our outdoor space and making the most of whatever outdoor access and time is available just to explore that world on our doorstep. And I think this works in both ways. It's not just about exploring the world now, but noticing the changes. Um, how has it changed from how it was like a month ago and lots of opportunities to think about how we feel about these changes and what are the good changes and how we might develop these in our ideas about what the future holds. I think most parents and teachers will be able to get outside during the day, perhaps to the school grounds, the garden park, or even just to the street. And I think if we take the time to slow down and just notice the everyday kind of minutiae of life from cracks and bricks in the pavement, a little evidence of nature happening, to our own gardens, to the wildlife, which is changing around us and becoming more adventurous. Um, I think all these are opportunities to develop mapping activities, noticing activities, and developing geographical language. And I think in your lecture this morning, Jill, you made the point that geography is personal, it helps us belong. So we need to have an appreciation of where we, where we are and what it is about our place. Um, from cloud patterns, I noticed, Alan, you put some really nice activities on the GA site about noticing clouds and following that up. Um, the wildlife at different times of day, which I've mentioned, or perhaps just getting small play figures and positioning them in the garden. Um, just things that perhaps we haven't had a lot of time for before we can make the most of. So measuring, mapping, recording, all of these things in the world around us. And thirdly, I think while looking at the world on our doorstep, we don't want to miss out on the wider world. So thinking about a connected world in our everyday lives, just looking at the food we eat, the food we have for breakfast, what's in the cupboard, what we're getting from the shops and what we can't get anymore, the clothes we wear, and just mapping where they've come from and thinking about our connections to the wider world. So I think all of these are just three simple ideas that we can do with minimal resources and just help children to feel they can make more out their everyday lives as they are at the moment. And just remember that we are still connected to everybody else. Thanks, Paula. That's great. Alan, do you want to come in there now? You know, Paula has just said everything I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> We're all busy crossing things off our list. Yeah. I will add a few new ones. I mean, the first thing to say is that, is that whatever works effectively in primary will also work in all key stages. I mean, those basic ideas of exploration, of seeing the world, the sort of geographical lens are so important whatever age you are even at, you know even my age I'm still thinking through those ideas as I go out and take my daily exercise um, at the moment of course you've got uh, parents and students who are adapting to a new way of working there are many different personal circumstances with access to technology just a space to work in um, the numbers of children that some parents have and they're also trying to work themselves so certainly uh, at the school where I work currently, we've just had a staff meeting actually on Zoom and, and we were talking through the, the, the reality of expectations. So geography is forming part of a, a bigger picture for them. So I have to realise that perhaps for the first time, I, you know, that I'm going to have to give a little bit more space and not push the geography being the, the biggest thing that I'm focusing on, because that may well be the third or fourth virtual lesson that a student has had that day and they're not used to working in that in that way so the geography has to be pitched at a level which is appropriate offer room for creativity and loosen up a little bit but at the same time we've got to keep that geographical terminology and language strong it's about relationships you know we've built up relationships with that with our students and tutees in the first two terms and those relationships are now going to pay off and it's about keeping those relationships with ourselves and with the subject going through the little things. So for example, I've been asked to check in with my tutees each morning. And what I do is I send them a little video and a little geographical question. What's your favorite city, for example? And then later that day, I'll send them a word cloud, which I've made using their answers. Tell me a book that's got a map in it. Tell me, you know, so just a little thing each day but they're all generally geographical. And it's just also finding out, you know, 
and having the conversation then ongoing. So a student who says, oh, New York's my favorite city. I used to live there. And, and, and you, you find out new things about your tutees. Um, finally, of course, we also, within my own school, has an international cohort. So you can't expect necessarily students to be all there at the same time. They're working in different time zones. But that very fact is geographical. The idea that we now have in some schools an international community. Some international colleagues are actually teaching three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and then in the evening to reach those international audiences. Um, so effectiveness is really about yourself. It's about keeping your energy levels up yourself. So I think importantly, not pushing students, being supportive, trying to make contact as often as possible and keeping the geography as strong as it can be against this broader, more important, wider context. Thanks, Alan. That's really useful. Bob, can you add anything to, to that? I think I'm just sitting here scrubbling off off all the ideas that I had, which Paula gradually knocked out and then Alan's done further. <laughs> so look, I would go with everything that they, they've said, but I'd like to add two dimensions. Um, one, I think we actually need, and worded in your question, Jill, was suggestions for teachers and parents. And I yes, think we need yes. to think about teachers as well. Um, I would be mindful of, of the fact that this might be a long haul. Um, I know two teachers particularly who are really quite exhausted at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, trying to teach five, maybe in one case, about six or seven hours a day online. And it's it's really exhausting. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason, Alan, actually referring back to what you said, is, is that uh, one of the teacher friends I have teaches students overseas. So he's actually doing specific lessons at different times of the day, one of which is quite late in the, in the evening. Uh, and I think school closures themselves and and uh the whole covid 19 thing teachers have that uh, their own kind of baggage to to deal with um health in their own families their friends their relations and so on and i think it's it's therefore got to be a it, it might be a long haul and and therefore take things steadily um devising heavily structured lessons which are based on content which are really sort of dependent on you being there every minute of every lesson I think it's not a healthy way to be um, and I think implicit in what Paula and Alan have said is that there's a great deal of space for for inquiry um, mm. for years I've believed strongly in inquiry-based learning where you know the students might be doing a lot of the research a lot of the finding out and I think that this is an ideal opportunity for individual students small groups of students to do research um, I'll mention some specific answers uh, examples later on when we get to talk about specific year groups and key stages but I think that's important I'd also really support what Alan was saying about parents um, I think it's important that students have a structured day for instance and the parents help to give them that structured day um, so they're getting up at the same time having breakfast at the same time that mix of subjects activities breaks but having stable things around them, like meal times and that sort of thing and to make some of the family life that's fun come alive as well whether it's quizzes around the table or um, whether it's sort of, um, sort of collaborative zoom um, or conversations with parents, with friends or whoever it is. I think it's really important that parents think about their lifestyle and their child's lifestyle and fit around all the other things that families have to do. You know, mm -hmm. there's always things to do in a house and a home. And I think it, it, learning has to take place in and around that. Don't don't squash those things just for the sake of, you know, doing a, a geography exercise on the formation of Oxbow Lakes, for instance. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Bob. Simon, you've got young ones at home. Have you got any suggestions <laughs> for parents and teachers? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, um, I'm in a, I've got yeah, two, two small ones at home. And um, so I'm thinking about actually what I'm doing with them, but also what um, you can do with older students as well. So I think there's a real opportunity for a lot of topic based learning. And there's also a lot of opportunity for bringing in digital learning as well. Um, there are lots and lots of resources out there at the moment which are being made um, available to a lot of people. Uh, some of the things that I've seen is that you could do 
I mean, obviously, Joe Wicks is uh, is making uh, everyone fit, but obviously, you can do things a little bit more geographical if you do Andy's wild workouts, which uh, little ones love, and you can start exploring the geography in the background, or you can go onto the National Geographic. I've got um, channels at the moment with uh, daily programs for young people. Um, the Banff Film Festival, who put on um, brilliant film festivals every year, they're doing a weekly collection of 90 minutes of short videos that you can watch in, in your own time. And, and of course, you can use those to, to, to start looking at various topics or how you might engage the environment and that, that might that might do do well as well. But I think it's about getting outside as well, if you can. Um, and I think that reiterates what Paula said, because We've done things like on we we um, had mud mud kitchen in in our garden, so therefore we we went and made some mud hot cross buns, and then we talked about oh look, how does this mud feel and that sort of thing. So you can go and do that kind of thing, and laying on the grass and just looking up at the sky and seeing if there's any planes or what the weather's doing, and talking about that kind of thing, um, and then just even just going out for a walk and um, on your daily allowed. Walk. It's like what what are people doing? How are they behaving? What are people sort of those geography goggles? I guess so. It's sort of walking along a path. There's any damage from the all that water we had earlier in the year falling from the sky, you know, and and what the impacts of that. So I think it's it's really a case of actually if you could build it into a topic and then go and cook something from somewhere and then read about something and do watch a program online and then engage with it when you're outside. Um, there's lots of opportunities there, but I think it's uh, it's also yeah not being stuck in in one mode of just watching a, a digital resource and um, and making sure that it also supports your mental well-being, which I think is massive at the moment. So yeah, Thanks, but reiterate what I said. So. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like, you know, relax and enjoy as a parent, enjoy some geography and learn with the kids and don't, you know, there's no pressure. Just just soak it up because geography is everywhere. Let's move on to thinking about some very specific advice for teachers and parents and students in, in different areas. So, so, Simon, what about advice for wanting for people who want to engage in fieldwork and outdoor learning, the specific it's the older children there, but specific things from the FSC, perhaps. Um, so there are there are many different things that obviously you can do, and and then I think that um, one thing that we're looking at as an organisation is is um, the impacts of the new Ofsted framework and how that will um, you can integrate that at different um, levels. And so it's not just uh, field work in the sort of um, a GCSE and A level, but that actually there's a building up of going outside and doing field work all the way through. And actually, this is a good time to trial different things. Um, I think at the moment, um, what we're trying to do as an organisation is we're we're looking at. Um, how we can still engage with field work and for young people. Um, so uh, what I know what FSC are doing is we're doing this new Fieldwork Live programme. Um, the Fieldwork Live is a, an opportunity. We're running 10 live lessons. So we've, we've designed teacher packs, um, which can be shared with students in advance of um, the live lessons, which start next week. Um, and those live lessons will then follow up on that pre-work that teachers can do with their students. And those are 45 minute sessions and they're aimed at key stage three. So there's a weather and climate session, there's a key stage four, and um, there's play sessions there as well. Um, and key stage five, there's some coastal work and some urban work as well. So um, the idea is that those live lessons will engage those students. And then following that, there's gonna be webinars where teachers can get further resources as well. Um, so we can support the sort of development, if you like, of, of how you might follow this up as if you were doing it as, at school, but in a different way. Um, so it's uh, those, those are, are all free and, and available to you. So they, they're on the Encounter Edgy. That's the part that we're using to, to broadcast. Um, and I think as of this morning, 255,000 students are signed up to take part at the moment. So um, there's, there's, that's one way of doing field work in, in, a, in a new digital way, but also will hopefully um, give some different ways of learning. But also um, there are other things you can do. So um, even if it's just um, at the moment going out, like I say, on, on a walk, but looking at colour and you can, you can see if there's colours in the environment matching um, different 
you can do like a nature's palette, like you have a, what colors can you see? What colors can we collect? And what, what can you see in the environment at the moment? This is a particularly good time because obviously all the spring flowers are coming through. Um, you can look at the landscape around and see how that's maybe empty, full, changing and developing. And there's just generally a lot of resources being published by various organizations. And um, there are, you can, you can get an OS map out and go for a walk and, and plot the route and um, engage with field work and just getting out and seeing things that way. You can then back that up and go and get an Esri map out and, and see what story maps you can find. Um, there's just so much out there. So I think at the moment, the, the field work slash outdoor learning opportunities are actually um, significant and you can actually still do quite a lot, um, just maybe in a slightly different way. Thanks, Simon. And when I think about outdoor learning, I mean, are you not so thrilled with birdsong and the quiet and the different sounds that we have compared with urban and, and uh, ambulances going up and down the road and full sirens and so on? I mean, it's, there must be something interesting to explore with sounds and birdsong. But let's move on. Thinking about the older students, Bob, and years 11 and 13, and then the prep years, uh, year 10 and 12, what about advice for them um, in, uh, in, in learning, for, for parents, I think, in particular, uh, the teachers and students? Yeah, thank you, Jill. Um, I'll, I'll take these in order, because I think the each, each year group, um, you asked the question sort of 11 and 13 and 10 and 12. I think each of those has got quite specifically different needs. Um, so right. I'll take each one in order. I'll start with year 13. In, in many ways, they're kind of the easiest people to counsel or advise because they've, they've done their school or college career. Um, some may even be able to draw a line under A-levels completely because they've got unconditional offers for university. But there will be those who'll, who'll do what uh, my nephew says, I want to show them. Um, by taking up the exam option because he thinks that he's he thinks his predictor grades aren't going to be the kind of grades that he's he's taught himself to believe that he deserves um, so I think if, if there are students who are wanting to do the A-levels they've got a target um, and I think there will also be those who um, perhaps are just thinking about life after school um, I don't know if any of you listened to Sarah Cox on Radio 2, but she was celebrating uh, two days ago one student who'd been registered, had been accepted as an NHS volunteer, um, was also um, earning money at McDonald's in order to earn some cash. I mean, that seems to me to be the kind of thing that, that year 13s will be thinking. If they're thinking geography, I'd be delighted, but I think there's a whole world of things out there at the moment that they might just want to um, you know, just, just grow away from, really. Um, year 11s, I think it, life for them is a bit tougher. Um, I think if they have been focused on particular grades, um, some of them will need particular grades to get into sixth form colleges, some or to just go on and do um, particular subjects within their within their school. I'd, I'd advise any of them really just to give some real thoughts what they're going to do at A-levels. So many students decide their A-level subjects on the basis of the GCSE grades that they get and they make their shortlist from that. I think in many ways they, these have got a a better alternative really they can start really thinking about the subjects they enjoy and i hope geography would be would be one of those um alan you've you and some other ga colleagues you've put together some really excellent resources on the ga's geography at home website um, and i noticed this morning that uh, another ga active member david rogers has put some excellent material together to give some students ideas about um what to do if they're going to be teaching the uh, learning the aqa a level specification i think those are two really helpful things that students can look at um any other teachers listening if you follow kate stockings on twitter um to kate's sort of gathering a, a huge following on twitter she's put together some really excellent readings um they're adult readings um prisoners of geography and factfulness are perhaps the two best, best known ones in the list but i think they're really readable for 16 year olds they're very practical things that 16 year olds i think can can really enjoy so i hope there's a there's a range of things that year 11 students could be doing again just to look forward and think about what the next stage might be um for those students already in train, I think they, again, they've got slightly different challenges. Year 12 students have got what I sometimes think of as being some slightly difficult topics on the way. There is a kind of pattern in the way in which most schools teach A-level geography, and it tends to be the kind of pattern that clears things like changing places and 
for many students, 80% of students, it's coastal landscapes if they're doing the landscapes option. They're getting those out of the way and those are quite familiar topics and they're preparing for new topics like carbon and water. And they're not the easiest things to really prepare for. So I think teachers have got to think up some really quite practical things that students can do. Um, because normally this is the time of year when they'd be taking them out for field work. Now, it may well be that Simon's ideas will give us some really, I think, inspired advice about how they might do field work away from the school or college grounds. I think if I was in the situation of, of students who are perhaps trying ultimately to put together a proposal for the independent investigation, the, the NEA, I think I'd be inclined to say as a teacher, look, I'll teach them water and carbon or topics like that now that we haven't done. And I'll just put field work on hold until we know we're going to be back in September. Um, I know plenty of schools who actually don't start the NEA until about September, even October half term um, in, in a few cases. And those students still manage to get the NEA finished in, in the time available. I, I think if you're the kind of teacher that likes to have the NEA see it, say in on January the 31st or something like that, I'd relax that and, and get a lot of the kind of more formal teaching now and then uh, go into field work later on. And I think the same is, is also going to be true there for year 10 students, because year 10 students, again, will be doing their GCSE field work at this time of year, um, as we head into the what I call the kind of exam period when teachers find it easier to get uh, released to take students out of school for, for field work. Um, I think some of the, again, a little bit like the A-level students, GCSE teachers for current year 10 students, you've, you've got some more straightforward topics to, to teach. And I think you've got some difficult topics to teach. If you haven't yet done the global atmospheric circulation, I think, you know, without you being in charge in class and with various ideas and ways that you have of teaching it, that might, that might be a real challenge. But I think you have got things like the developing or emerging country case study or your uh, UK urban study, which students can perhaps research online and use a framework of inquiry questions that you've devised. And again, that might be much more <clears throat> practical than trying to sort of think, oh, look, you know, I'd normally do field work in this term. Put field work on, on hold for a moment and, and perhaps maybe come back to that when, you've, when you know that you're going to be back in school on a more regular routine. So I hope those ideas are, are helpful. Long reply, but um, each year deserves a separate uh, separate consideration. That's fine. Thanks, Bob. Okay, Alan, what about key stage three? What specific advice to teachers, parents and students for 14-year-olds uh, or 11 okay. to 14-year-olds? Yeah, um, I'm going to start by mentioning geographical literacy, GIS and remote learning, because those are three terms on the e-conference bingo that's going on. So hopefully that'll help somebody fill in their bingo card. Um, uh, key stage three. Um, so I teach mostly in the junior section of school, years three to eight, and I am very happy currently about that because I think that I have a, a slightly easier job than some of my colleagues who are going to be you know, teaching 10, 11, 12, 13 students through this period of uncertainty, uh, but still with the expectation of, of, of really important exams at the end of it. We are thinking through how we're going to assess year seven and eight students. Um, I'm thinking Microsoft Forms may be one way of doing that because you can set up tests which are then uh, automatically marked or at least partly marked for you. Um, but leading up to that, I think the first thing I'm going to do is enjoy the fact that there isn't the same tension about um, exams. So I, I have that, as I said earlier, a little bit more flexibility. I'm certainly encouraging engagement with stories and reading. We actually have a unit on factfulness that we uh, taught to year eight. So certainly uh, if, if uh, 16 year olds can read it, then, then year eight students are certainly have been able to read large chunks of it and use that for their work. So stories, uh, encouraging reading, sending home uh, readings as part of the work to do, and then uh, responding to that. Uh, so at the moment I'm planning in <coughs> London, which I would have been teaching anyway, but that's full of, of, of readings and texts on London, different uh, descriptions of London, different experiences and imaginations of London, uh, based on some work I did with Danny Dorling and Ben Hennig on the London Mapper uh, website, and also some work for the RGS, their Mapping London website. So those are already in existence. I think it's worth saying that also that um, students at that age 
still are looking for the merit points. Um, that sort of um, hunger for merit seems to disappear in year nine, even towards the top end of year eight, where it's a little bit less cool. Um, but I, I'm still conscious that some of those younger students are really wanting to, to really push with a particular piece of work. They really get into it. I set a, a piece of work with some, some A to Zs where students had to research A to Zs of countries, mountains, etc., as a off-screen task. And you know, one student was straight in there giving me some really interesting ideas. If I was in school, he'd get some merits. So this idea of virtual merits, I'm still thinking through how I'm going to reward that. But there are students who are going to really engage with your ideas. And so it's, again, that communication. I've given them a, a set of mission explore challenges, which uh, they can do connected to the curriculum, but also um, that they can do in the garden, um, you know, different circumstances. So I'm using those ideas as well. The geography from home section of the website, which I contributed to, um, there are similar ideas there relating to using the local area. The, the key then is to link it back to your curriculum topics. So I'm trying to create uh, two slightly open-ended units for the first half term. And then for the second half term of the summer term, I'm going to use the RGS's Young Geography of the Year competition. They very sensibly got a title, Geography Beyond the Window, which really ties into this idea that we are looking through the window out there at the geography that's going on out there. And uh, so Bina Cooper at the RGS came up with that title. It's a fantastic title. Uh, it's the Key Stage 3 um, is a, and it's an A3 poster. So I'm putting together a, a set of resources to encourage students to look firstly at their local landscapes and then actually look further afield. So let's look at the idea of scale and connectivity. And so that's gonna be something that I'm building in a key stage three, because I think apart from anything else, it's giving them some of the language and the ideas that they're going to need. And ultimately in their heads are still going to be those decisions. Am I going to take geography? at GTSE and Brilliant. so the, how you how you are supporting them through this time will be a factor when they come to make those choices. And thanks Alan there's a wealth of wonderful advice here. Paula last but not least the primary phase wow what advice for teachers parents and students. Um, thanks Jill I think Alan the idea of um, geography through the window is a great leveler at the moment and very topical and I think that's something that whether you're in school or at home, children could keep daily diaries of what they see through their window and compare it. Thinking of the great storybook by Jeannie Baker as well that many children will be familiar with. So I think that's a great starting point. But something else that's really important, I think, for primary is just a chance to develop and deepen that geographical vocabulary and spend time on that, whether it's through weather watching. And again, you mentioned the weather, Simon, and weather watching. It's a great opportunity for children at home or at school to keep daily diaries of the weather and develop that geographical vocabulary doing that. And for Key Stage 2 in particular, but for all children, just developing um, graphicacy, mapping and hand-drawn maps, paper maps, digital maps. Digimap for schools and ArcGIS are both free um, and available. And Digimaps has got lots of resources on their website that children who can read can follow for themselves. So Key Stage 2 will be able to follow those themselves. And in school, there's lots of support for younger children as well. So I think there's lots there to keep them occupied. Meaningful maps, perhaps drawing a map of your place from memory, your, your current walks, how far do you go in your neighborhood? Um, so sketching those and bringing those back to school, I think all opportunities. And the inquiry words come up quite a lot. And I think if you deepen this, geographical vocabulary then you're on the step towards developing the, the powerful knowledge you need to deepen inquiries and and ask meaningful questions so perhaps if you're at home you could ask your siblings your grandma your mum and dad um, geographical questions about things you've learned or noticed and and develop some idea about others opinions as well as facts uh, I think if you haven't got access to a blark globe <laughs> um, then it might be worthwhile wherever you are just using 
a handheld compass or your phone just to orientate yourself and think which direction does my window look out of? Where's my front door? Which direction does my street point? So that when you're doing these recordings and observations, you can give it a directional quality. And, and I think that will help deepen understanding as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Paula. That, I, I love that. Simple idea. And it doesn't take a lot, does it? You just, and often one thing leads on to another. That's wonderful. Thank you all. Um, Jill, Jill, sorry, can I very quickly um, just say there was, a question, there was a question on the live chat about what do you do with the little ones to possibly use tension with the COVID-19 and activities. I was just going to say for our little ones, what we've done is He's, it's become Mr. Coronavirus and um, and when Mr. Coronavirus is outside, but actually all the positive things. So actually you can hear a lot more of the birds. You can go outside and see all the spring flowers and you can do all the other, look at, look at the positive side of maybe there being less going on at the moment as well. So mm -hmm. that's how we've tried to, to, to do that. Just, just saw that pop up. So that's possibly something that could be engaging for little ones. Absolutely, and it kind of it, it runs beautifully into the next area of discussion, which is about um, how we interpret the world and how our experiences and, and environments all affect what, what we think about it, the, the world. And, and clearly this current very challenging situation, do you think, um, I mean, what challenges and opportunities do you think this current situation presents to students? And how might parents and teachers support children? You suggested one thing, Simon, but Bob, have you got any ideas for how um, parents and teachers can best support uh, students in this situation. I mean, it, it can be very scary. That's, that's exactly where I was going to start, Jill, actually. Um, I'm getting some feedback. Oh, no, it's all right. It's gone, gone quiet. Um, yeah, I think emotional support was the first point that I wanted to make, really. I, I remember having a dream when I was 14 and it stayed with me and it kept me awake at night for a long time. Uh, my father had been into hospital for an operation about a year earlier and I thought I'd gone through that. And then one night I dreamt he died. And that really affected me for the next, oh, two, three weeks, four weeks. And I think every time that, that students of any age see the TV, whether they're with mm. you as parents or whether they're by themselves, whether they're with their siblings, whoever they're with, it, they're just getting this constantly coming at them. And I think somehow one of the challenges for us, whether we're parents or whether we're teachers, is to help them deal with that. Because I think the more you know about something, uh, the less it becomes a threat. You begin to identify what the threat is. And there's an awful lot of geography in the coronavirus, as I'm sure mm. it doesn't take you know, any of the, the listeners any you know, very much thought really to, to realise just how much there is. And I think to, to understand the virus and what it is and how it spreads is good educationally. I'm sure the whole message about things like washing hands has, has, has been picked up on. But I think when you look at the urban-rural divide, for instance, in, in the number of COVID-19 cases in this country, um, there are also other questions about how and why Britain is responding in a different way, perhaps to Italy and Spain, or particularly to Germany. And I think to ask questions about uh, how the virus affects different people, different countries, different regions in, in different ways. Um, I would also be mindful of the fact that for many adolescents, I'm thinking now of sort of adolescent students in secondary schools, yeah, adolescence is quite a lonely and confusing time anyway. And I think it's a very isolating time in many ways. You know, you, you feel kind of very lost in many ways in, in, in the world. And I think social distancing just, just exacerbates that. And I think therefore the more that we can have either family time or friendship time together, whether it's the daily walk, um, however it is that you, you, you socialize with people to get, get children, get students looking outwards and thinking that almost as you were saying, Jill, just now, you know, the world is a different place. You can hear the birds sing. Um, the maps of CO2 emissions from China look markedly different from how they normally would. There's a, there's a very different world emerging from in, in a world of social distancing. But I think we have to see that from the point of view of what it means to be an adolescent in, in amongst that. Mm -hmm. But I would stress that as geographers, I think we've got a great opportunity to help students understand the virus and perhaps make it less scary um, in that respect, the more we know about it. Um, and, and 
there's an excellent um, again alan i'm not i'm not not fawning to your your expertise but i think the the covid 19 and understanding the covid 19 part of the ga's learning from home part of the website is is really excellent and i, I just direct teachers straight there to go and have a look and thereby direct students for, so that they can then use those resources as well and get to understand the world a bit more um post covid 19 than maybe they do already thanks bob simon did you want to come in or or can i go to paula Kenna Paula, can you, would you like to, to comment um, about how we interpret the world in this, in this uh, current situation? Well, I'm just going to echo some of what Bob said, actually, about how important it is to give children a sense of hope. Um, I think that's really important to nurture their, their kind of dreams and their ideas and give them space to think about the good things that have changed. I think I've, I alluded to this earlier on. So the quieter streets and more wildlife, the bird song, as you mentioned, Jill, and just give them time to be grateful for these things, grateful for time with friends and families. And um, Sharon Witt sent me a lovely presentation about gratitude that she did at Chani Conference. And it was just encouraging children to think about all the things they have in their life to be grateful for. Mm. So it gave them just to, to take the time to sit down and notice the world around them and, and think about that can be very empowering. And a challenge with this is combating the daily drip of awful news that comes into our homes and children are particularly susceptible to this and it's helping them to realize that yes there are some terrible things going on in the world but this is not the norm there is a whole world out there of people doing very boring everyday things and having a perfectly kind of relatively everyday life but the, these things don't make the news because they are the general as Hans Rosling would say they're the generalized life and not not the extreme and that news is extreme. So I think a way of combating this might be encouraging children to make up their own daily good news item and look out in the world for something they've noticed, a blackbird singing or um, someone who said hello to them or making contact with a friend. And they could write a little article or just tell, retell this, you know, their bit of daily good news. So I think all these positives. And as David Hicks says, just thinking about a world of the futures ahead about what is possible what is probable and what is preferable and our imagined future so i think that's where geography is particularly powerful mm. have you all got a teddy bear in your window <laughs> teddy bear trail I, yeah because yeah exactly because when i go around here the streets in Chester, i'm looking up and seeing and we've got teddies and in fact i changed them over at easter because because different teddies and my old ancient teddy which is now 60 years 66 years old is now in the window and i can see the kids going along looking and doing on their teddy bear trail and it just makes them smile you think oh why do we do this all the time <laughs> alan Anything to contribute on how we might support students in the current situation? Um, only that uh, somebody must have had that teddy bear for 20 years before you had it, Joe. <laughs> um, I think, uh, importantly, a, a little still point of normality in the week, your geography lesson is a period of calm. I don't think it's a good time to choose topics which involve you know, a lot of death and devastation. Don't be teaching hurricanes and flooding and nasty topics. There's a lot of positive geographies, geographies of hope. David Alcock's written quite a bit on his blogs about this, uh, you know, the geographies of hope, which mirrors the David Hicks ideas that Paula mentioned. Um, choosing topics with awe and wonder. Uh, and I think also on the idea of teaching about COVID-19. I've been working on a resource which I'm going to launch at the Teach Meet presentation tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's ended up being a 50-page book, really, um, post-corona geographies. And it's discussing the ideas of how we approach geography when we go back, because a lot of geography will have changed. Mm. So I think also students thinking through what some of those changes are and some of the positive changes as has been mentioned in, in our daily lives and, and we mentioned before before we started the session about people using local shops for example and using local services there's a real fear that you know amazon are going to get this monopoly almost of of, of buying stuff because uh, it is one of the few ways that we can get what we need in france they're not allowed to to, to deliver anything other than essential supplies but this idea of, of positive local changes, you know, just, just 
saying hello to the neighbours a little bit more perhaps in some parts. There was a lovely piece I think yesterday where somebody said it, people are becoming a bit more northern. <laughs> they are saying hello to their neighbours a bit more which of course is what we, what we do up in the north. Um, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Yep, that yeah good. Uh, so, that, so that's all I wanted to say there because I think Thanks, Alan. I know I've already been said. Thanks. Simon do you want to add anything? I think I think it's, it's it's building on what's already been said. Really, I think that mental well-being is the biggest challenge at the moment, and that's in regards to to, to um, anything that we're doing and and how we we sort of look at that. And I think it's it's about it's about using that variety of times. And actually, I myself have had a couple of wobbles during that time, and then I look at my little five-year-old who is having a couple of wobbles, and you know, and and it's about actually. How do we look after each other and how can we make sure that my wife is also trying to teach digital lessons to her students and mm. you're sort of looking at that pressure on how many lessons we're trying to deliver and actually some young people will be at home and in more challenging circumstances and actually there's there's going to be a lot of other things that are happening so I think actually one thing that might an opportunity that might come out of this is actually about how we we actually look after ourselves and actually how we might think about work and our studies slightly differently as we move forwards and actually so that an opportunity might come um, arising from that and I think that if we if we can think about that and start integrating that a bit more into our education now then actually that could have a positive impact moving forwards but obviously there is it's a deep time of anxiety and the what-ifs and people obviously worry and I think it's just a, it's about looking after each other um, as well so I, I think yeah any any ways in which we can sort of utilize those opportunities for positivity and, and well-being I think are, are really important. Mm, thanks Simon I was so struck by Captain Tom this morning getting his hundred laps you know you know Captain Tom He's remarkable fundraising. Um, he's walked yeah. his hundred laps, but and, and he was saying this morning that you know we will come through this. <clears throat> but it made me think that young people don't have very much concept of that. You know, it, it's they they can't really believe it's going to be fine until they look back with hindsight. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you know I think as a as someone who's <clears throat> got a few years under my belt, it's you know I've got to be really careful when I'm saying to. To, to young people, um, it, it'll be it'll be okay it, because they they don't they can't really see it as as adults see it, and and just you know just a couple of other comments. One um, a strategy. I'm I get really worried by the news, and I find now going to bed after the ten o'clock news and news night really quite depressing, and it makes me quite worried, and so I'm just avoiding the news at ten o'clock because I go to bed yeah, with yeah. all this in my mind. I mean, yeah. I, I do want to know, I'm a bit of a news freak, but actually 10 o'clock before I go to bed, you know, for, I don't really, really do that. Um, but the other thing with my development hat on, um, I mean, I'm looking at what's going to happen in um, uh, South American countries and, and the African countries and the slums in Dakar and, and, yeah. and in Nairobi and so I mean, what is going to happen? And actually in comparison, we are doing so much better and we've got so much to be thankful for so you know it's a it's going to be horrendous for them but um perhaps if i was teaching sixth form i would say to them don't don't look too much at the news on the developing world because it's it, it's not going to be it's not going to be good Bill, actually just to add to what you say it's 14.5 million now for captain tom is it yeah he's extraordinary yeah okay well let's think about um and I was talking about geography really matters, and we all know it's really important now, but is there anything that parents and teachers could do to impress on students that, you, you know, we should be doing some geography? Um, I mean, we know, uh, mums and dads know that literacy is important, and numeracy is important, and STEM subjects, but perhaps, perhaps history and geography get pushed to one side. Art is perhaps coming into the foreground more, because that's more recreational and you know, it's more relaxing and perhaps the sort of humanities bit is getting pushed a bit. Um, but how can parents and teachers impress on students that geography matters even now? It's a strange question. Alan, any thoughts on that question? 
Okay, thank you. Yeah. So I can copy parents into tasks that I set for students. So I can. Oh, good plan. Good plan. Get them to do the homework. What, what the student, their students are doing. And I take that as an opportunity to remind parents and students of what we've done so far and actually try to make links to earlier topics. So I mentioned factfulness, for example. I mean, if Hans was here, imagine how helpful he would have been in his guidance in terms of the the data and the work he did on Ebola in 2015 would have you know informed him. Um, we're missing somebody like that, but but that reminder of of, of Hans's factfulness work is hopefully helpful for the year eights, who mm. will remember some of those ideas, some of those um, factfulness rules, the rules of thumb that he set out. So just reminding parents, I guess, as well as as well as the students, that we have covered topics which are which show how geography really matters. Um, we use social media feeds, so we have a, a Twitter feed for the department. Um, some departments will use Facebook, Instagram, but we use Twitter, and we do have parents following that feeds. And so I drip into that articles which are of relevance, which again show the links through to what we're teaching. So I'll often say, "Hey, Year Seven, remember when we did this?" So there's an article yesterday about the planned obsolescence of, of printers, which apparently only they only spend five hours working their whole time. Really? Um, add up all the seconds that they print for. The average printer works for five hours, and then you're expected to throw it away. Um, and and so just reminding them of the work we did on e-waste and the fact that you know through this period, people as many are doing are probably sorting out their homes and their attics and generating huge amounts of waste so there's a there's a link back there to a topic that we we covered um of course one way i'm doing all of that is through the living geography blog my living geography blog i think i've added about 100 posts in the last month because so many stories um so directing parents and other people to the living geography blog where i've got currently just over 30 ideas for home learning some of which have been mentioned plus some other ones so even just yesterday, a piece by David Wallman in the Wired publication, which talked about uh, how we're now negotiating place. Every time you go to a supermarket, there's this negotiation of space within the supermarket aisle. People are giving way to each other. And, you know, so that idea of, of scale and geographical concepts are coming back. Where you live really matters, as you mentioned earlier, Jill. Um, so your location, your postcode, all of these things really matter. And I think that that's an easy thing to communicate through the work that we're perhaps doing over the next next um, half term. And um, if this is the Thanks. last thing that I say, then uh, just to say to the 180-ish people watching right now, you're all doing a great job too out there teaching geography. It really matters that you carry on uh, supporting the students in the way that you are. And I wish you all very best for the, for the summer term. Well, thank you, Alan. Bob, would you like to chip in then on how parents and teachers can impress students that geography really matters? Yeah, um, I, I think, again, thank you to those 180 people who've given up the hour of this afternoon. I, Alan has, has given a, a, a better rationale, really, than I, than I ever could. But I, I'm going to say this. I think that 2020 so far has taught us, Jill, all the things that your lecture was about this morning that geography really matters. You only need to look through the major headlines of this year about wildfires and climate change, about global geopolitics, whether it's to do with um, USA versus China or whether it's to do with the geopolitics of oil. Um, the coronavirus itself, itself, itself goes without, without saying. And I also, I, I hate to bring this in, but you know, the, the election, I think it, reward, it reminded us all as geographers that what we've hitherto thought of as perhaps the red wall is changing and that the blue wall is now emerging in places. And it's because of, I think, a thing that we've we've all taught as geographers in recent years about winners and losers resulting from globalization. And so I just point to those. The, the question, Joe, was all about, you know, we need to convince people that geography really matters. I would just point to those things as a synopsis, really, of why the subject is, it doesn't just matter, it's vital. Thanks, Bob. Simon, quickie, why does geography really matter and how can parents and teachers impress their students that it does? Well, I think it's just at the moment, this is a real sort of place-based, this is something that's happened 
something globally is actually having a really direct local impact on on everybody and actually it's a very real thing and I think that's a, a, something that is very unusual in the time frames that we've seen and I think actually it's the, it's the what next um, mm. and it's the actually when we get through this we'll think much more about our mental well-being and there's that side of it we've also got the climate emergency that we've been massively involved with before this and it's sort of disappeared a little bit and will come back and I think um it's it's um I've just seen some comments coming through um on the on the chat there was one from David Alcock um, and I agree that actually humanities and geography can play a massive role because actually how we deal and how we use this crisis now actually could be really important for the next sort of challenge which might be the climate emergency or something different and people also talk about projects where actually we look at we will come through this and that the human contact and, and all of the other things are and actually this is really important now and we will we will be okay and look at what's happened in the past look what might happen in the future but actually we we can be together and and um have that sort of like we will we will sort of get to the next challenge and and that might give us a different way of looking at it and and how we can approach everything so I think it's um this is a very real time for a lot of people and and I think it's um given us a new way of looking at things thanks thanks Simon um, have any of you seen those wonderful photographs from northern India I've seen a few um where in um Delhi you there's a photograph of Delhi in a normal day and then there's Delhi where you can actually see the, um, the, the, the wonderful arch. Uh, and then you can see from Delhi, you can see the Himalayas and they are so clear. And someone has said, it's the first time in 30 years we can actually see the Himalayas. And so, you know, climate change, we are, it shows us what we're doing, that there will be some a silver lining here where we look back and see how not having lots of polluting um, fuels and so on. You, know, you can see India Gate is so amazing without all that fuel. So there's, there's hope. There is hope. Paula, do you want to chip in on what you would say to your parents and teachers in primary? Um, thanks, Jill. Yeah. Some really good points made by everybody else. So I'm just going to summarise in three things, really. And they're things that have been mentioned already. First of all, I think we can show how geography can help build a sense of resilience for children in their own personal identities and their sense of place and rootedness in their place. And I think that, that can be like a cloak around them that can help strengthen them. Um, developing a sense of how we are all relying on each other across the world, local and globally. And I think it's really interesting that some sectors of work who've in the past been vilified by certain sections of the press have now suddenly become heroes. Mm. And I, I think this is a time to realise that we truly do rely on everybody and, you know, everybody has a value to contribute. And then lastly, I think, as we've all mentioned, this sense of what might be, this is a time to recalibrate, take stock. And I don't think anything should or will be the same again. Hopefully, geography will have a lead in this and showing us how we can make really relevant and purposeful decisions about what we do in the future. Thank you so much, all four of you. I've got one question here from Oliver Rogers, and a quick answer from each of you, if you don't mind. From the perspective of a trainee geography teacher, starting to teach come September, what kind of activities can we do, or what sort of CPD, to improve our teaching and bring fresh ideas to the classroom? Perhaps direct them in a particular way, to a particular site, or what? Uh, what kind of activities can trainee geography teachers do to improve teaching in the classroom in September? Free for all. Anyone want to respond to Oliver? Alan? Um, there are uh, 9,400 posts on living geography, which you can happily <laughs> read through. There you go, Oliver. Something has happened in geography Enjoy. in the last uh, 12 years. It's there. Um, I would Fantastic. also build up your Twitter network, follow yeah. some other new teachers, just search for Jog, Jog PGCE and you will find lots of other people who are also preparing. Begin to share your, your, your own ideas, start your own blog, uh, add images to Pinterest, um, just start collating and collecting things ready for the start of your course and good luck when you start your course. Thanks Alan, that's such good advice. Uh, 
And anyone want to add anything? I was, I was just going to say we're going to be running some um, digital live sessions for trainee geography teachers um, okay. in the next few weeks, and there'll be more information coming out on that. But um, we've been approached by several um, university PGC tutors, so um, so it'll be specifically around organising field work and um, risk assessments and planning and all the other bits and pieces. So there's that there. Um, Brilliant. So, uh, Thanks, and Simon. Also, and I was just going to say as well, also going back to all those National Geographics and those BAMPs and all those other things that you can bring in. Lovely. Thank you. Bob, Paula, Happy. Uh, just, so just to say that there are some free CPD courses you can do at your own pace on the Geographical Association site that are free mm -hmm. to access now um, okay. and on the IGS site as well. Thanks, Paula. Last word, Bob. Yeah, um, just join Twitter and whenever you feel the need for, you know, if you, if you need something, need a resource, whatever, there will always be somebody out there who will help you. Geographers are such sociable people. I guess probably teachers are generally, but geographers yeah. are particularly. And good luck and in your new career. It's a, and it is the best career, isn't it? Teaching. It is. It is. Most, it is. Really it's is. the yeah. most amazing job. And there's no such thing as a wrong question. Um, there's always someone else who's got who's dying to know, but isn't brave enough to ask. So there we go. So I mean, we need to draw this to a uh, to a close. I'm afraid, but you've given so much, so many good ideas, and so thank you all so much, Paula, Simon, Bob, and Alan. Thank you for your contributions, and to our listeners, may I direct you to the Geography at Home section of the GA website. A wealth of resources there, and they're free. Um, and please keep in touch with the GA and let us know how we might support you further. It's been lovely of you to join us. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to this special episode of JobPod. We're working hard to bring you more podcast episodes during these challenging times. So make sure you are subscribed to your podcast app to receive all future episodes straight to your device.